But when you're pregnant on top of that, and you have, as a woman, our bodies have high maximum nutrition needs. When we're pregnant, we're trying to create a new body. So um, everything is going to that. But when I was in there, they only gave us um, an extra milk with each meal which I'm lactose intolerant, not good (laughs) for me. I couldn't even digest it. It's like not good. And a prenatal vitamin. That Mm -hmm. is all that they gave us pregnant women in Pennington County Jail. And so that's an issue for me that just is a small little tip of the iceberg issue of how indigenous people in particular are being treated within the justice system. So Pennington County Jail is, um, at the time I was there, 95 to 99% of the population was Lakota and Dakota. So we were obviously being targeted. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that was another issue was that how their treatment of the the pregnant women. No um, extra nutrition, um, just a prenatal vitamin and milk that most of us as Native people are lactose intolerant. We can't digest that. Um, so there's issues that I see with my son. He has, um, he's on the spectrum. He has autism. He has mm-hmm. really, his teeth are not good. He has issues that he has from that of most of my time, that being the, the nutrition that we had, which for me, I could see that being another segment of, or segue to cultural and right. physical genocide that our people have been subjected to since the era of colonization began. So that's something that another issue that people probably wouldn't know about unless they were actually in there, right? Right. Having to go through it themselves. So that's what we're here for today is just to spread awareness on these issues and how do we change it? How do we help? You know, um, because there's a lot of women who's going through the same thing, but they're going through it alone. Right. And I don't know if that's changed. I remember speaking to the neat, to the nurse about it at the time. I said, look, I, this is not enough for me. I feel like I'm starving all the time. I feel, um, I feel horrible and I can't digest this milk. I feel like I need more nutrition than just what you're feeding everyone else. I can't, I, I don't want milk, first of all. I see that they would give the diabetics and things, they would give them um, an orange and a peanut butter sandwich and things in the afternoon. And my body was just like, I need that. Right. Let me have that, but they wouldn't. And she said, this is, this is all that you need. You don't need any more than a milk, an extra milk with each meal and um, a prenatal vitamin. That's all that you need. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that no. is not all that I need. I need, I need more. You, my son's going to be six foot six tall. He right. needs a lot more than that. Yeah. So um, it's just kind of, I laugh because I can, because I've been through it, you know, um, and it's ridiculous to me what, what the, the logic the logic that they have with the way the things they get away with how they treat us is insane to me. Um, I know that you have something that you wanted to bring up with, with grandma Agnes. Oh, I can read that real quick. Cause okay. uh, I have it right here. Um, there was, she must be with us. <laughs> so grandma Agnes, she was one of my uh, mentors and she's the one that actually called me in as a bear, um, bear dancer. And so she's the one that appointed me as that ceremonial um, bear dancer. 
so I worked, I worked a lot with her and she, um, she passed away just this last, um, within this past two years. So it's been interesting. But um, the other day when we were talking, I, so this is her book, you guys, it's Grandma Says Wake Up World. And it's from Agnes um, Pilgrim. And uh, there you go. And there you can kind of see her. Yeah, she was part of the indigenous grandmothers. And so there's this part I wanted to read. I won't read the whole thing. Um, but this beginning part was what we were talking about. So um, this is her chapter 20 in Justice and Inequality. It says, I worked in the justice system out of the Del Norte country in the uh, Northern California nearly 20 years. I saw the injustice and equality. I worked in the courtrooms. I saw the injustice, the imbalance from the get-go when I started working in the courtroom. From that time on, I wanted to change it. I looked it up. I searched it out. Then that's when us grandmas came together. I talked to them about it. And some of them knew and some of them didn't. In 1493, Pope Alexander VI in the Vatican wrote an edict, a papal bull, which in the essence said for the powers to go around the world and to search out the land. If they were occupied and if they were pagan and heathen to kill them. Pagan and heathen meaning that they weren't Roman Catholic to kill them and to take the land. We all know that Columbus did at the East Coast at the time. He met with the six nations there and he saw that the land was occupied and they were pagan and heathen, meaning they were not Catholic people. When he left, they came and the guns and the trail of tears came across the United States, killing our First Nation people and wiping out the tribes completely. It was swarmed in Australia when I talked about it because it was uh, they knew what was happening. New Zealand knows what's happening. I said many, many, many times, I have been on the microphones, televisions and everything. I would like to have an audience with the new Pope because they said the new Pope, uh, John Paul had written a letter documenting the papal bull. I said then, I would like to see that letter. Uh, pope John Paul is gone. Well, where's the letter? No one knows, so the Pope Francis so I feel he has gotten the kind of charisma that you kind of sit down and he would lend his ear in, in a calm, nice way. I thought he got that type of character that would listen when I was saying. So I wanted to be, I wanted to meet the Pope. So us 13 international grandmothers went to the Vatican to meet the Pope John Paul about the Papal Bull. We were there in the front of the Sistine Chapel. He had addressed the people there every Wednesday. They came in by the thousands and busloads and would address them. He wrote to him, uh, we wrote to him, but he never responded to our letters. So we went there, all of us. We laid down our altar and put our sacred things in, um, on it. The first thing we knew, here comes a cop. And he said we were desecrating the ground. This land is the country for, is uh, this land and this country is for prayer. Then comes another one saying, we're going to put you in jail if you don't clean this up. You have no right. Then here comes a big, tall cop. All of this was in our movie. So they have a movie about this. Um, and here comes a taller guy, officer, and he settled in the two, um, the other two down a little. And then one comes, here comes one of our ladies that brought us a permit to go there. And, uh, but we didn't get to see John Paul because he had taken off for Australia. So we'd like to meet the Pope of Francis because I think he would have an ear to understand the injustice that's happening. 
Nobody ever asked what happened to the Aboriginal Indigenous people all over the world. They were killed all over the world. And then this, um, and this is the same with my people here. So I'd like to meet with Pope Francis to see if he could um, rescind the edit. It's been over 500 years and nobody alive today had, um, that had anything to do with that. Why not re uh, rescind it? I pray that Pro uh, Pope Francis believes in the equality and justice. And I think he would listen and try to do something about it. I have a dream that, and that that's one of them that maybe he would get his ear because it seems like he got some type of charisma, you know, of listening and having compassion for elders and children. I think he would listen. So it keeps going on about the different, um, actually, I'll just read this last paragraph. I hope that maybe I get the opportunity that two or three of us international grandmas uh, could go and be with him to have the, have, the, have things done with um, away with. I don't care for myself, but I would like to see the equality and justice for all those that are behind me. My fifth generation little kids, I would like to see their equality for them to have that. I, I think that any grandparent should want that for their kids and for the First Nation people. I would also like to see their um, see at the state of Oregon uh, take Columbus Day and make it October 12th, declare First Nations Day. Join me. I would love to see that. The only reason I why I celebrate October 12th is because I got only one son left, Keith, and his birthday is October 12th. That is the only reason why I celebrate it. Think about it and get a hold of me. Let's get rolling on and let's get um, let it let's get it changed or let's get it on the map. And I really thank you. So those are some words from Grandma Agnes. So it's pretty. <laughs> You know, she she did a lot of work in the in the justice system and sitting with her, um, she would tell me stories um, of, you know, these men and especially in Oregon and California. And she actually helped bring Sweat Lodge back into the prisons over here. And she, you know, really went around and um, advocated for them and that like what you were saying, you know, it, it, they're, they're trying to break the spirit and they're trying, mm -hmm. they still are to this day. And so bringing back that spirit, bringing back that connection, it actually helped um, all of these prisoners that she was working with uh, go through their real healing. And through that, they were able to heal that generational trauma. And now a lot of them have been my mentors and, mm -hmm. So it's, it's amazing. So all, I want to say this to all of you out there, you know, that I say this a lot. Um, if you went through a hard life, especially being native um, and indigenous, and you think that going through the prison system or drugs or alcohol or all these different things, you know, you think that it's going to keep you from being who you're called to be. That's part of how you're called to be. How are you supposed to, uh, and it's the same thing with my life. How, how can I help anybody if I hadn't gone through the things that I have gone through? How, how can you help, you know, these other um, youth and uh, indigenous people heal from their trauma and have hope that they too can get out of the system. And I watched most of these mentors have gone through um, the 
prison system. They've gone through some type of trauma, gangs or something, but it led them to be these most humble human beings, most humble people. And with most compassion and understanding and why, you know, we go to drinking, why we go to drugs, why? And that's the whole other thing of the broken system is nobody's going to the why and what caused this to happen. Why did you go down this road? What, what Mm -hmm. placed you in, what happened in your life that caused you to go and steal? You know, it's like, what, where did you get put in your life that happened that caused you to go to that place? What happened that caused you to, you know, be on the street and be homeless? You know, maybe that was a choice to be there because you'd rather be on the home, uh, on the street than with, you know, toxic people in a home that's making things worse for you. And you have more peace being out in the streets. We don't know the story. And with the system, it really tries to break us down. And even through, um, you know, rehabilitation and things like that. Um, I've been talking to several people that, you know, have been going through rehab and trying to get clean and I've been helping them. And, the mo- the one common thing with all of them and with hearing with what grandma Agnes taught me and, and talked to me about the biggest common thing was sweat lodge. That mm-hmm. was the, that was the common thing was the sweat lodge to go in and help them get clean again and to stay on that path and to reconnect them with themselves. And once they were able to do that, then it was like, they were able to, it was like they're unstoppable. They know who their spirit is. They're reconnected again. And then, you know, not living with the, just because I was in the prison system or um, just because I was an alcoholic or uh, maybe a prostitute, you just don't know. It doesn't justify who you are now as if you're making that change and you're working on that healing and you're moving forward. That just becomes part of your story. It doesn't become who you are. Right. right. And unfortunately, that's one of the issues with the justice system is that when you go through and you get these um, charges placed on you and you get sentenced and then let's say you get a felony, then that, for the most part, sticks with you for the rest of your life. And you have to pay for that for the rest of your life. For instance, if you have a felony in um, many places in California, in my experience, if you try to apply for housing in a certain place automatically turned down. Mm-hmm. You can't be here because you have a felony. They mm-hmm. don't look in and see what you did or what you've done with your life or what you're doing now. Or is it even, you know, did you really do something that you don't deserve to live? You just don't get a chance. And so that's another um, issue that I've noticed with them um, in Rapid City in particular is that they'll target the native people. They'll trump up the charges, arbitrary charges, and then they'll put a felony on that person. And so then that that person is subjected for the rest of their life to that condition and whatever um, sort of stigmas that society puts on or conditions or um, treats them lower than for the rest of their lives, as long as they have that felony that they have to deal with. Um, so I noticed that was a huge, I, I had no idea before of how much they can really truly try to ruin your life with that. And right. the, the guilt that that places on you when you have to live with that and you're trying your best to better your life after that and then you keep getting turned down because of things that happened in the past, it's damaging. 
to your self-worth, to your reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then furthermore, when the target, when the justice system is targeting you, it's that much worse. So um, they're also targeting our children now. And I don't, I, I really want to focus on the effect that it has on our families and our children. So parents who get in, um, in and I have a friend actually who's going through this right now in California. So it's not exclusive to South Dakota. I know it's happening um, across the board with indigenous people where they're um, targeted by the justice system and then their children are taken as a result of that and and they're kept separated from their family and it's almost like there's nothing that they can do if once that once that um, system decides that they want to take the child there's almost nothing that they can do to get that child back and um, even to the point of creating and fabricating stories that aren't true about that parent or situations that aren't true or saying, well, maybe this is going to happen to this kid. So we're going to keep them in foster care because we think this might happen. Since when is might a reason to Mm -hmm. keep a child within foster care? But that's what they do to us. And there's, there's, that's another thing that I want to work on in the future is starting to expose child protective services mm-hmm. for, for what they've been doing, not only to native families, but it kind of, um, especially to native families, but, um, to other people as well. So they're not only doing it to native families, mm-hmm. but they're targeting us for sure. But that's something that 10 years ago, when I was coming out and trying to share my story, uh, not very many people at all believed me or supported me. And I felt like I was fighting almost alone to try to get my son back. And, and um, I fast forward 10 years later and that judge that removed my child and terminated my parental rights before I was even convicted of the crime that was put on me, that, that is the reason why my child was removed. Um, in between then and now, he has come under fire by other Supreme Court judges mm. for his arbitrary removal of children from Native families and how he has given them no due process of law, arbitrary reasons, and is re- was removing these childs and, and the, the damage and trauma that he's causing to these families by doing so. So that's something that I want to work on in, in, in the future. And I know that there's a lot of Native parents who have been through this. There's children, Native children who are in the foster care system who shouldn't be in the foster care system, but they're there anyway. And if we go back to the root of how that began, it's the boarding school era, where mm-hmm. it was legal up until 1978, I believe, mm-hmm. for the American government to come. And if you're a Native American from any tribe, they could legally come and remove your children from you and force them to go into boarding schools. And so the boarding schools, if you don't know, I mean, it's, it's so, um, it's always a lot of sadness that I have there to talk about that, but we need to talk about it because we're dealing with that with intergenerational trauma and things that we have to carry now from what our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents had to go through. And also me, I'm still repeating it in this lifetime with my child being removed from me. It feels like the same thing. Like they came in and they forced my child away from me and there was nothing I could do to get him back. No matter how well I behaved or or how much I met their demands, there was nothing I could do. They were just going to take them. And they did it under the guise of the legal system. 
And so but up until 1978, it was illegal actually written in their laws that they could come and remove Native American children and force them to go to boarding schools, cut their hair, remove their, their traditional clothing, their um, languages, their culture, their ceremonies, and, and just raise them up as into that wasichu or white way. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we're still we're still dealing with it, and it's a heavy thing to carry. Mm. It is because even like I, I noticed this kind of like with the COVID, um, not having Sundance this year, not having bear ceremony. You know, to wake up the bears, to put the bears asleep, and having to go back and doing things kind of hush and quiet and in your own sacred place, in your own home. And during this time, it reminded me of that and what that felt like to have to put that medicine away. And it was really hard, really mm -hmm. hard to, to not be able to have those ceremonies to go to and live in that way and having to figure out on another level how to do that every day in your own home in the, you know, in those sacred ways. Um, and it's, it was challenging. I, I found myself kind of like my bear was like angry for a moment because, and kind of lost because I was like, I weren't supposed to be doing the ceremony. And the other day I had to sit with my bear and say, I'm sorry, you know, we don't get to go do the bear ceremony. We don't get to go do this, this, um, uh, putting the bears asleep, but we'll sit here and we'll, and I'll sing to you. And so I had to sit there and with my bear and, you know, put the bears to sleep in that way and go into a, in a different dimension, if you'll say, um, to do that. And in that space, it was, I felt my ancestors. I felt my family that, that knew that pain of having to hide and having to put your medicine away. And um, I could have done some some things, you know, out in my parents' lawn, but because of the lockdown, because we didn't know about martial law, because of all of these different things, it was even made me afraid to even go do a sweat lodge in my parents' you know, um, yard, because it was kind of just a little bit exposed to the road and for traffic. I was afraid to, um, put the fire up because I was afraid that people were going to come by and say something and harass me and in those sacred spaces and when they have no right to. And so I went through this trauma during this COVID of what they, of seeing and feeling what they felt like to have to put this uh, medicine away. Um, when my grandma passed two years ago, um, I cut two and a half, almost three feet of hair. Um, my hair was in the uh, below my um, mid thigh and I chopped it all the way up to here. And when that happened, I understood what they went through with boarding school and losing, the, losing their identity. Um, I lost my identity when I cut my hair. I felt like a huge part of me no longer existed. I felt disconnected. I felt disconnected from creator. I felt disconnected from my family, from my roots, from my medicine, from, I, I, I felt completely disconnected and stripped down to nothing. And I felt naked and vulnerable. And 
I started realizing even more, this is what our, our ancestors, this is what they went through when their, their hair was cut from them and it was taken and you had no choice and you had to cut it. And even though what mine was, you know, cut to let go of that pain with my grandma and um, when someone passes, especially in my, my tribe, you cut your hair and um, I was told that by the time my hair gets long again, that healing would, would be there. Um, it's taken me two years to almost get my hair back to, to where um, it was when I chopped it off. So it's taken me two years to go through this healing um, from my grandmother. But in that whole journey, I understood and I understand the importance of hair and the connection of our hair and the power behind it. And um, real quick, I want to share the story that's coming to my mind. I was sharing this with um, Eric the other day. Um, the, they, we were talking about war and um, my family and things because I have a lot of family that served in all of the wars. And we were talking about the importance of, of the hair. And there's a story, you guys can go research it, um, but uh, I'm just gonna kind of do it briefly. But if you wanna go into it further, go ahead and research the story. But um, basically what they did was they took a Native American man, a warrior soldier, he was the army, and he, they, he had his long hair and they wanted to see if, um, if the hair really did make a difference um, with a Native American. So he kept him with the hair, they put him out in the middle of the forest um, somewhere and said that you've got to survive. These people are going to come in and they're going to come to kill you. And we're going to see if you can get out. We're going to test you. And so he goes out there. He doesn't know how long it's going to be until these people are going to come. So he's asleep. And all of a sudden he hears loud and clear, wake up. It's time to go. And he's like, okay. And so he goes, go. And he, you can, he, he hears and he's being guided which way to go and go and hide here and stay here and wait. So he stood there and waited in the spot and he watched all of these soldiers come into where he thought, they thought he was laying and sleeping on that ground. And when they got there, um, he was no longer there and they were baffled. And before you know it, he was behind them and had them at gunpoint. So, they're like, okay, we're going to try this again. And so, you know, they have to do all these studies, right? So eventually they go back out there and this time they chop his hair off mm. and he goes out there and puts him out in this other place and he's laying there and all of a sudden he hears wake up. But by the time he wakes up, he can already hear the soldiers coming. He can uh -huh. already hear their footsteps. He can already see them. Uh, moving and by the time he went to go get up they were right there on him and so it just goes to show even so there's all these different studies on this but it just goes to show even more that with the with our hair it 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 really helps us with that connection um when you know when you're with your children and things that hair keeps you connected uh that's why too you know this hair is a sacred thing you especially you know those that don't know this don't just go up to a native person and go touch their hair please i i can't speak on this enough because every time a stranger comes up and touches my hair without asking i feel you i feel your energy i feel what you're feeling i feel your thoughts i feel whatever you're going through 
And if you, we are not prepared and ready, you can you can do some damage to some people by just going and grabbing the hair without touch, without asking and without that permission to do so, because this is sacred. It's like if you want to know more about the hair, go watch Avatar and the movie and go and how at the end of their hair, they have these feelers that they go and they connect and they interlock with each other. This is the energy I'm talking about. And if you want to understand more on a visual point, go watch Pandora and go watch the energy of the hair and how they connect with the hair and with each other and how they even interlock each other's hair so that they can feel each other. And, you know, it's the same thing with, you know, um, our children and things. So it's like, even um, like with brushing your hair, you know, we're always told, you know, it's only your family that brushes that hair. It's only your mother that brushes the hair or the auntie, but you have to be in a good place to brush that hair, or you're going to, you know, you're going to put something on that in the energy of that, because you're so sensitive and it's sacred. So I just, I wanted to touch on that part too, because I, we get that a lot and I see that a lot. And, and a lot of us, you know, we try, we just clinch up and we just sort of like, mm-hmm, yep. Thank you. Yep. Glad you like my hair, but it may, it's, it's not very respectful for us to just go and grab hair and touch it. And mm-hmm. not only that, making fun of boys and making yeah. fun of these youth that have long hair or making fun of these men that have long hair. You do not understand the, the, that power and the energy and the connection that's behind that. It's very sacred. And these little boys, I see them get bullied. I've, I've talked to so many little, like, you know, these youth that get bullied. And um, one person to go check out is Diami Thomas. Um, I watched him grow up over here in the, in the youth program. And he goes around and does a lot of education on um, native men with the long Isn't hair. Isn't he on TikTok? Cause I think I just, I yeah. think I just yeah. came and he's a suicide prevention. Yep. Um, okay. For, yeah, for I knew. yeah. Yep. So he's doing, he's doing a lot of good things and, but he's got some really good um, videos out there that, talks more about hair if you're interested in that um I can even go and try to find it and post it but that's just one of yeah the that's things. something like my little boy I've decided um well for many reasons I've decided to homeschool him but also because I've observed his interactions with other children over the years and and he's always forever getting made fun of for his hair and so his hair is real long you know almost all the yeah. way down to his butt and and I will let him cut it. You know, sometimes he's because of those influences where he's getting bullied or made fun of. He wants he doesn't want his hair. Um, but he's finally because I've kept him separated and I kept him in a safe little bubble at home with me. Um, he's actually going to go get the brush every morning and asking me to brush his hair for him and to take care of his hair for him. So he's finally embracing it. And um, but. I, I did have to make that choice to keep him separated because it is, it's a huge issue with our little native boys getting made fun of and told that they look like little girls or even we're standing in the grocery store and someone will say, try to talk to him and call him a little girl. And so if he even got to the point where he was telling me, you know what, mom, I must, I must be a little boy and a little girl on the inside. 
And, but he, that it was, so I embraced that in him because it was his way of explaining to himself how other people perceived him. And it was his way of making it okay. Mm. So, but yeah, this, mm. uh, don't make fun of little boy's hair, you know, and let them, some of the most beautiful hair I've ever seen is on these little boys. No, and it and it helps them to grow up and to perceive their world differently. They need that long hair and they need that connection to their ancestors more than ever, especially in the times that we're going through. Because, well, I was I was fortunate enough to go to Sundance this year, mm. um, but now um, our reservation has one of the highest COVID rates in the world. Mm. So um, I don't know what it would be like for next year or things. And I'm sure everything's shut down now. So no hippies, no sweat lodges, no ceremonies now. Um, but I'm really grateful that I was able to have that at that time. So with all of our ceremonies, you know, being shut down, we need those, whatever we can hold on to and utilize when, for having to hold our, our ceremonies alone. Mm-hmm. You know? It's important to do that, especially in our times. And this is, I was told too, that in this new times, it's really um, up to the um, the hearers mm. to hear the song catchers to catch because the ancestors, they're here and they're waiting for those who are wet, ready to listen. And they'll and they call them the, the uh, catchers, the catchers in the wind, meaning that you're able to hear these spirits as they come by in the wind and as they're trying to teach you and relay messages to you. And so they're coming and they're here and they have been. And it's up to us that are listening to listen and to bring back these old ways in this new way, because, you know, so because of the boarding schools and things, so much was forgotten or mm-hmm. pushed away or um, hushed down. And so it's like a lot of people, too, they're like, oh, you speak your language. Like for me, it's like, no, I'm still learning my language. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time um, getting you know, learning my language because of the trauma that happened in, with my family and, you know, trauma that happened with my grandma when she was in school. And it, it really, it really played a huge effect. And I actually, I used to go rounds with my ex-husband on this because he, he speaks his language. And one day he took me down there to the, the Navajo country. And I'm looking at all these canyon lands and all these places you can hide. And I look at him and I'm like, it's no wonder why you guys were able to keep your language and, and your ceremonies the way you did. You had places to hide. My family, we were in the valley in, you know, we were, you know, in, in Idaho and Utah and in the, in these valleys, Wyoming, you know, there was mountains, but we were in the valley and we didn't have any place to run and hide and things like that. And like, even like with the Bear River Massacre, my family, you know, we were the ones on the sacred land that held that space. And it was outside Shoshone's from different Shoshone tribes and clans that came into our land to come do the ceremonies. And so I was actually talking with this, my mom the other day, and she was telling the story and how I'm actually going to have her come on and and talk about the story. So I'll just do it briefly. But she was talking about how uh, the Shoshones, they would come onto my family, um, our land, and that's where the ceremonies, the uh, sun dances and things would happen. And but one day they all had this 
uh, vision and, and they were told that, you know, the white people, they were going to come and they were going to um, kill all the encampment. And so we didn't do the ceremony. So everybody left, but we didn't leave. We stayed there. My, my family's very peaceful. And before you know it, the cavalry came in and that's where the Bear River massacre, they wiped out my, my, almost my entire family. And so that's why my, you know, my band, my, the Northwest Band Shoshone um, is very small. It's very small. And it's just like, we, people don't realize, you know, all these different things. It's like, oh, you should have kept your language. Oh, you could keep your language, all these. And it's like, no. You don't understand. And then you don't yeah, understand even the like, beating. Go ahead. Right. So even when I was over in um, New Zealand or out there, oh man, <laughs> I'm trying to say it in their language, but sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. Aotearoa. Um, so New Zealand, that's the way they say, or that's their language for their um, island, which is the, um, but anyway, so when I was over there, a lot of them still have their language. And they were asking me, um, how come you guys don't speak your language? Um, but the thing, the difference when I was over there, there was, there's the language was everywhere and the culture of the Maori people was everywhere and it was beautiful. And I was so inspired and you knew that there was a people there who existed before the era of colonization. I mean, it was mm -hmm. obvious. And, um, and when you go over there, the language is, um, interwoven with the English language. So they'll say half of the sentence in English and half of the sentence in their language. Mm. And so in that way, you can't help but pick it up. And But over here, there was so many different tribes and so many different languages. And then so many were just forced underground um, that there was that separation that occurred. And it's almost as if here they want to bury us like as, as if we would never existed. Mm -hmm. Because... If you can bury us and try to portray it as if we never existed, then that legitimizes your claim to the lands, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I would love to see that happen um, over the next decade, couple decades, where our presence becomes so prevalent that people who come here to visit us in this country can't help but acknowledge that there was a people who are indigenous to these lands and that they were here before the era of colonization and that they have to respect that. In fact, that should be the first thing that they see and they hear is our language and our arts and our presence everywhere they look. So that's that's what I I raising up my son in that way to grow his hair, to be to know who he is, to have be proud of his ancestors and to come with me to our ceremonies um, and all of my children. I'm I'm bringing them onto that path so that they can be the ones who take over when, when we're older. So, and to make our presence known because not, it's not just about making our presence known, but it's because we are the caretakers of this land. We have that connection them because we came from this land. We have that connection that we have to um, strengthen that because we'll look at the environments the ecosystems that are being destroyed. Everything that colonization has done has been destructive. So that was a choice that they made, but we have the responsibility to fix it. So not only do we have to fix ourselves and heal from all the intergenerational trauma, 
that was imposed upon us. But we also have to be strong enough after that to rise up and to heal this world, or at least this part of the land where we come from. Mm -hmm. So that's why we need to talk about these things like the justice system and how it targets us and why we need to talk about the boarding school eras, why we need to talk about things that we've been through as a people. Because when we address those issues and we talk about the dark things that we've been through, only then can we go through and have some light and heal from it. Mm-hmm. It's so I, I didn't true. know. I didn't know that you were a bear dancer. Mm. All yeah. this time, I had no idea. Yeah, and even uh, Grandma Agnes, with the work that she was doing with um, revitalizing her people's um, uh-huh. traditions. Uh huh. Yeah, it's it's powerful. I I listen to a lot of her stories about the tattoos and the meanings and and things like that. And I got to watch her, um, you know, appoint some of those tattoos to certain sisters and things like that that were going through their healing trauma and coming out of it in recovery and you know honoring them with those markings. And I I was blessed to be you know witness um, some of those. Um, you know, the way that she gifted that to them mm. and that marking. And yeah, so she, she actually called, called me into bear ceremony. Um, oh, back in 2014, I think mm. about 2014, 2015 it was somewhere around in there. Yeah, so it was it was really beautiful. Um, that's a whole nother thing we could talk about. <laughs> right, I know. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, bear dance so, is powerful. Yeah. So we have that connection there too because I was almost brought in as a bear dancer as well. Oh but someone there. cut the um somebody cut the claws off of my bear. And so you know, when you do that, you disconnect the spirit, right? So there's so many things that people are doing. Um, either, and that was one of um, our people. <laughs> yeah. So there's so there's so much healing that we have to do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so much education and so much jealousy that we. Yeah, there's a lot of issues that we face. Um, but that's that. I guess that just wasn't for me at that time, mm-hmm. and. Um, but yeah, that's good to know that you do that. And yeah, so bear dancer, and then also a sun dancer as well. Mm-hmm. So I've been, I've been a sun dancer since I think I was called into the circle around 2010, 2011. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a journey, but I wouldn't change it for anything. And um, for those of you that don't know Sundance, um, especially in my tribe, um, we stay in the arbor in the circle for four days. It's three nights, four days, and there's no water, no food, nothing, <laughs> no cell phones, no outside connection. It's literally you, um, your sleeping bag, and your. Uh, we dance with the eagle whistle. And it's you and creator. <laughs> that's, mm. and that's, the universe. What, that's what it is in the universe and, you know, and your ancestors. And I tell you, it's the, it's the most beautiful place I've ever been to be in that circle dancing and 
feeling so connected and disconnecting from the world to connect with God, to creator, to ancestors, to the universe. Um, we could talk days on, you know, things mm -hmm. um, that that can happen that, you know, but they're at the same time, there's things that can't be talked about. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, especially unless you're in that circle or on that ground, you know, there's certain things that are only shared when you're in that circle or you're in that lodge or you're on the grounds of that ceremony. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that people don't realize there's protocols. There's um, you have to live, you know, a certain way. And, but we'll talk on the Sundance one day because we can use that in our life. Um, anyone can the teachings in there and staying focused on your own path and not jumping off of your path and going on to someone else's. And if you go on to someone else's path, then you're going to get taken for a whirlwind and real quick in life. The biggest thing is that when you're in there, you're staying focused on creator. You're staying focused on that, the pole, but the pole represents the creator. And so you're, you're walking in this way of life. And so it's just like in life, I'm just going to leave it with this is that in life, we, you got to learn to put the blinders on. And it's not meaning that you're not paying attention to what's around you. It's you're being aware of what's around you, but you've got to stay focused. You got to stay focused on creator. You got to stay focused on your mission, your goals, where you're going in life. And if you start paying attention to what these people are doing over here, then you're going to get taken off of your path and you're not going to be on your path. You'll be on someone else's path. That's not meant for you. And so I'm just going to leave that with today. Um, can I say one more thing? I want to go back to and you go. <laughs> so I want to go back to the justice system um, because the that what you just said is really vital to um, us having uh, our connection to Creator, but also having the strength and the wisdom that we need to get through our lives, which is what a ceremony helps us with. And mm -hmm. so, with with the justice system needing to correct our behavior and locking us away the way that they do, but um, locking us away from our culture and um, in such a negative, stale, ugly, poor food—you know, every everything is just as low level as it can be within mm -hmm. the jails and the prisons and the justice system. So being that we are the indigenous people of this land, we should have access to those ways which are true reform for our behavior. And it only is going to come through our ceremonies and through our traditions and allowing us to foster our own connection with creator through our traditional ways. Mm -hmm. So... I want to leave it there because that's what that's what we deserve as a people. And that's what these people in the justice system, our relatives in the justice system and our children that are in these foster care systems and um, all of that. That's what we need at the root of it. That's how we're going to heal. Yep. Love it. Thank you. And this is, again, why it's called Rising Warriors, if you really want to know <laughs> for all of you is it's like. This is why I came up with Rising Warriors is because we're in the time of Rising Warriors and I am showing you the warriors that I see that are making a difference in the you know native country, indigenous country and are with our people. And so this isn't just anybody coming on. I, I personally hand select people to come on this that I see that are really stepping up um, and rising as a warrior. And so there's going to be a 
collective of people of ages and you know both genders it doesn't matter um i have a student coming on next week um that will be speaking she's doing some amazing things as well and so that this is part of rising warriors is you know we're rising and through this comes talking about our trauma and I'm tired of having to suppress it and act like it doesn't happen and being told that it happened in the past when it's still happening now. And I can go further on that because I too have gone through my own abuse in school and um, being tormented by teachers and um, whipped by rulers uh, put in the front of the class and stood. Um, I, at one class in my history class because I was speaking on my family and my native history and Chief Washki and they my teacher did not like what I was saying so she made me stand up in the front of the classroom with my nose in the corner for the whole entire class and so it's like I I am tired of um the world saying you know what everybody's abused just get over it and deal with it no, the only way that we're going to be able to get over it is if we can actually talk about it now and actually talk and then heal. And by talking, you we heal. And also part of laughter, that's part of our healing too, is, you know, laughing. And when you get to the point where you can laugh about the messed up trauma, then, you know, that's where we start laughing. And right. most people don't understand that, but Natives, we bring humor and laughter into anything and that mm -hmm. we can because laughter is the best medicine. So I'm just going to leave that with you guys is that, you know, this, I am going to talk about some deep, deep stuff with people and it needs to be heard. And um, this is part of rising as warriors is being able to bring back that um, knowledge and awareness of what is happening and that we are still here. And like I, like grandma says, wake up world, wake Sorry. up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to leave that with you guys today and um, hope you all have a good blessed day and stay tuned because we've got some more uh, stuff coming up ahead. That's going to be some, some good things yeah. I'm excited to talk about. So Oost, thank you everyone. You have a good day.